Hey, you're listening to the Big Breakdown Podcast with Chris Stafford and Harrison Marshall. Take it away, fellas. Welcome along to season four of the Big Breakdown Podcast, where in this season we're looking at talent development. In today's episode, we are looking at the talent development pathway. Harrison, um, we've had a great response to our um, previous three episodes on uh, athletic development, psychosocial behavioural development, and technical and tactical development. This should now sort of bring it to light over the next few weeks about what that looks like in an actual practical environment. Yes, and it's very exciting. I think um, those first three, uh, those, those three episodes we've just had of um are being quite eye-opening in, in in some regards and and it's great to see that they're uh they're doing really well um you know get lots of listens actually sparking some conversations i think people in um in, in my environment have, have given them a listen and i know that we're now implementing some of that stuff and it's and it's really exciting and now it's quite it'd be quite interesting to um to talk to to uh, well, firstly, our guest today around uh, how he's looked to implement it nationwide across um, across the pathway. But then, you know, in the next two episodes, uh, around how people have actually, uh, how coaches have actually done it in their in, in their own environments. Yeah, definitely, and that's the exciting bit of the next few weeks, really, isn't it? It's looking at sort of what them environments are producing, how that's working, um, and uh, yeah, some great guests uh, to come. Um, so today, today we are joined by Don Barrow, Head of Performance Programmes and Pathways at England Rugby. In a playing career that saw him represent England Sevens, Barrow made a Saracens debut in March 2004 in a Premiership clash against Northampton. He left Saracens to play for Bedford Blues in 2011, but was still a presence at Saracens as an academy coach and after his retirement in playing rugby in 2014. He thrived in the role as academy manager and has produced players such as Maritoje, Nathan Earl and Nick Tomkin. After eight years with Saracens, Don joined England Rugby in 2017, was responsible for leading and managing the National Academy programme. Don joins us today to chat about the Academy Pathway. And Don, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. No, it'd be, uh, I think it would be, be good to chat sort of uh, everything um, Pathways. I think sort of what would be quite nice to sort of start with is if you could just give us sort of an overview of what your role is uh, within the RFU. Yeah, so um, Don Barrow. I guess job title is Head of Performance Pathways and Programmes, so really responsible for um, our long term, uh, the pathways that will get people from uh, first, I guess, first senses that there might be some long-term potential through to hopefully a seniors or a roses cap um, and everything in between, really, trying to find some coherence, some uh, some aligned direction. Um, and, yeah, just overall sight across what we're doing. So very, very narrow. For you. I think it's interesting because we look at sort of pathways quite quite different. Don't we? I remember when I first saw you uh, do a talk. It was at Wellington, sort of pre-COVID, and you put the uh, the university college up where the, the they didn't actually put paths down until a year in, so people yeah. could form where the best way to travel were because everyone's pathway is different. So I suppose how how sort of how how do you try and account for that within sort of the, the England rugby pathway? What, what um, is the, how, how do you do that? How do you with with pathway you know everyone's pathway is different what, what's the actual structure of it yeah i think the first thing you do is you accept that's reality so um sure you know we get a lot of nicely drawn uh pictures which everyone will normally show you and they they tend to be a bit wide and finish narrow um 
you know, we, we completely get the reality is everyone's pathway is different. I think um, probably in that talk and whether or not I said it about the time or something, I think it's really true. It's a great a book by Robert McFarlane called The Old Ways, which is about pathways and walking and um, experience. And he, he looks at the word, where, where, does, um, where does the word to learn come from? And it's from two really old words. One, I guess, was to to learn by following a path. Um, and I think that is the really the truest sense of a pathway. It's it's there as a journey. Um, it will take you from points. You will learn along it. I think we we accept that different people's pathways will will be very different. They will learn at various stages um, along it. It's a very continual thing doesn't start and stop when you get on it it happens you know before the official ones in between the official ones after the official ones so we we accept that as a reality and then our job is to try and design um, and have systems that give people plenty of opportunity to to develop to be seen um, to be developed to stay in to go out to come back in again um, and I think whilst we would probably draw it and articulate it a bit more clearly we we definitely acknowledge that our system needs to do all those things. And so that's, is that, is that, how have you found um, managing all those all those different things? Because it, like you said, the reality is is that the pathway has to narrow as it gets to the top because of participation numbers and the amount of spots that are available at the uh, potentially the top of the pathway. Um, so how do you manage? How have, you, how have you guys gone about managing expectations and actually if people have to drop out of the pathway and, and into exit points, how you how you manage uh, them leaving leaving the pathway and, and also how and the opportunity to come back into the pathway? Yeah, look, we, we will try and be as broad as we can for as long as we can. Um, there will always be a point when uh, resource availability of people or, or programme you know, forces some decisions. I think that's that's also one of those kind of things that lives in constant tension. You know, how many people do we want to bring in? If we kept in everyone in the country all the way through. You'd probably say actually that that's not the right thing because that's never sharp enough. I think it's a it's a question you continually look at, refine, discuss. Um, how do we manage expectation? I think that's one of the really important principles of any any good pathway that they're very clearly communicated people understand how you would get onto it you know that that idea of signposting is is critical like a good path is well signed um at times and it, it shows people how you, you find the start of it i think we we'd also be clear when you come off it we want people to understand why um but also there's there's chances to rejoin so when we look at how um from our academy or, or center of excellence pathway when people leave that, they need to understand how they can get back in. So that might be where CBs, county squads come back into it or university teams, um, different leagues, championship. All, all those things are part of the pathway. The job is to try and make it as, as clearly communicated and well aligned as you can. So in, so sort of starting at the, the bottom end on, so you've, you've sort of been about how it starts now and then works its way up. What, what is the starting point then within sort of this, this pathway? Starts broad. <laughs> not narrow um so the look at the bottom level is is um the rugby you can pick up without any kind of um barrier to participation so ideally your local club school 
college, whoever's whoever's playing it, really, at a sense when there isn't uh, an overly formal selection to join that program. So that's that's where rugby starts. Um, I guess before that, you can just run around in a park with your mates before you've even joined a local club. That's you know both of those things we're, we're hugely supportive of and encouraged. So that's that's what we. You know, that, that's the base level, the, the pathway, um, I guess, where my job would involve and we'd start it is as soon as there is um, a selective stage to join it, we would start to say. So I guess it's worth saying when I'm referring to pathway today, that's so what I'm talking to um, a, a selective stage uh, that you need to go into or through to, to be on it. So uh, excitingly, so the DPP, which has been uh, in the mail pathway for uh, some years now launches right, less than a couple of weeks um, in the women's pathway for the first time, which is brilliant. So we're 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 pulling those programs in line with each other. That's that's a quite a broad um, selective stage. So I think really well described um, to me once by saying, you know, the the process that used to happen where you would turn up on a day and someone would stand with a clipboard and tick or cross against your name and your you know your pathway entry could have been decided at one point in time the dpp is really in place to do that same process but over two or three years um so yes it narrows and it filters but rather than a day you've got a time scale of years so we really work on that principle if people are unsure if you're unsure um you know join it give someone time and opportunity to to be sure i think as we as we push, as we try and become a more inclusive, um, a more diverse pathway. And I think those things will really be in support of, of better ultimate performance. Um, we need also need to be really clear, you know, what, what kind of affordance do we need to give people? And that's what the DPP does. So if I've been playing rugby since I was five, I will probably present very differently from someone who's picked up a ball in year seven for the first time. Now, it, it doesn't mean the end point of either of those two people is any different. What probably is very different is how they present in that period and, and potentially some of the affordances we need a system to give them. Time, support, quality of coaching, um, understanding. I think those those things are really critical. So that's what the DPP should be doing for us is, is acting as a, a very passive kind of supportive, you know, nurturing, developing filter, but over a long period. Yeah. I got, with the DPP, it's, it's I guess it's very much managed by the academies and the and the and the and the fourteen, uh, in the, especially in the boys side. I know that it's the fourteen premier premier uh, premier clubs and academies across the country. Um, how important is it for you to make sure that they are still relatively aligned with each other? If you know you might have uh, you know an Exeter going in one direction and and a, and a Northampton DPP going in in a, in a different direction, is it important for you guys? at the top to make sure they are aligned or or allowing some flexibility within within those within those structures yeah good question so dpps are really there's three stakeholders in it the union rfu um the regional academy club um and the cb county so three stakeholders will run it i guess the the sense to give you is um centrally led regionally delivered um, absolutely, it has to be, you know, local difference. So, you know, from Cornwall to Cumbria, you know, there is change. Um, as I'm sure everyone would kind of proudly tell you, they're, they're, they're very different needs in each each area. There are equally principles that cannot change from our point of view when we're looking at systems. So should every player have the same opportunity to access 
a pathway absolutely that that's non-negotiable doesn't change wherever you are um quality of care quality of experience actually there are some probably core themes in coaching we want to expose players to we want to make sure they're they're very similar however how you need to solve that problem to deliver it is probably different um on your patch as it is is to mine so we need to give you the flex and freedom to be able to do those two things yeah no, and that's I mean, that's yeah I mean, it, it's quite and this is what i enjoy i mean i work with 16 to 18 year olds so you know i'm, I'm a part of the ace i'm part of the ace college and you know we've got you know we've got a lad who's currently away in 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 south africa with with the under 18 squad um you know he's and i think speaking to him when he comes back i think it's he enjoys the the different conversations he has that from different players that have gone through the different pathways so i think it's important that they're getting that flexibility and they get, they're getting touched on in you know they're being molded in slightly different ways in different areas but what you do notice is that when they do come together as an if it is in you know, at 18s level um especially at the top is that you know, those core values have been have, have been instilled I think that's what probably you know the RFU do quite well and within their within their five um, you know core principles. So you know I think I you know I, 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 I totally agree. Have you have has there been like you know you don't have to have to say but but what for you has been like the major challenges with 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 the DPP and and and, and going forward? I think it's um, it's a good way to look at it. Is is you know, potentially some of the and are, are healthy tensions, and I think they're right. So when when we speak to them, we have to we have to look into what is you know some of the performance tensions you'll have. You'll have it in your um, you know if there is a style of play that uh, may be present in a senior team, for example. And we, you know we could have that either internally with England, you could have it in a Premiership club. So if there's a style of play that um, people might feel you want to, um, you know, players will need to know that to be able to step up into that next level and really achieve, step in, thrive, develop. However, um, we also need to acknowledge, you know, the player you're talking about now, 17, 18 years old, when they're, you know, touch with a regular Premiership player in five years, it's probably a very different style of play. It will be a very different style of play that's currently going in. So, there's always questions on how much do we need to um, give people exposure to the next level so that they can actually go in and and be competent and and not shortchange them really in a development experience, but probably never quite letting the top completely drive the needs of your development program. And I think that that lives in a constant tension. You need to if you're thinking about your system, your you know how much do you, I guess there's a how much do you want to expose players to that this season and then this month, this week. In the next 10 minutes, how much do we want to be, you know, some carbon copy of senior stuff and how much do we think that should be generic skills, um, core competency? So I think that that lives forever. That, that will always be there. And your job as a coach is to, again, is to make healthy decisions on that um, and, and really kind of make calculated, today we're going to do this, actually over a season it will be this much and this is why, because... I think your job is to is to provide some you know some scaffolding some framework when you're thinking about those things but equally your job is to also make sure the player is adaptable enough to when everyone turns left in five months because something unforeseen happens or that's just a, a new coach a new style of play the players can shift into that 
Yeah, I think there's a there's a phrase that's stuck in my head around the development pathways. That's making the players technically technically safe but tactically adaptable. Hmm. I think that's that's you know even even working it within in my environment in an ace. You know, we ultimately we'd like to win the ace league, but we're still part of that development pathway. And you know, the players that we've got, yes, we're we're associated with WAS, but we'd be happy if any player was to go on and, and go into any environment and thrive. So, you know, they can only do that if they are if they are tactically adaptable. So it, like I said, it's that is that is a that is a tough balance. Um yeah, and I think you know it's you know, there are there are probably some niche stories in which people are caught caught in between, but I think you know from working in the environment it's they are getting close, close more closely aligned than ever. Yeah, and I think you know we we developed the England rugby development framework specifically to to call out um, things that we think won't change. You know, if we're talking about rugby, and in ten years' time, we will probably say, do players need to be able to um, have an awareness of space? Yeah, that 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 will be real. Um, catch, pass, kick, they will probably continue to be um, real. There are some things. You know, we'd say that all all positions need to be able to do these things. Um, then there'll be some technical pieces for your position. Again, depending on where you are, when we wrote that framework, if you ask a under thirteens community coach what's important about a prop, they will go nothing because they don't really have too many positions and everyone has a go. Um, if you ask one of the senior coaches, clearly there are some real specific technical bits. So somewhere, the job is to map out the journey from I don't care about positions to if I can't do this highly technical thing consistently, then I won't be playing for England. Um, that was our, that was what we tried to articulate that journey at different stages, different things start to become true. Um, and then you have to plan and, and, and map that pathway through those. So with the, just bringing back to a sort of a coach, Point of view, I suppose that the, the whole focus of the that, that bottom end of the pyramid is just allowing players to explore, really, isn't it? And it. form solutions and um, stretch their their own sort of ability to be able to play. When when obviously this was all, and I appreciate that the, the clubs are all different and run things like. Was there a set of like what were the key core skill competencies that you maybe have outlined at that level that that, that we should be working on away from sort of that? So is it just simply just catch pass? Great. What, what sort of ideas is it that for at that level, these are sort of the different opportunities that were given for players to, to like to explore and test their skills at that level? Yeah, and, and that's, that is literally the language we've used in that um, framework. So we talk about explore the boundaries of player capabilities. You're, you probably can't put enough tools into someone's toolbox at that point. Um, you know, if someone is early in the journey, it is as important that they you foster and create this love for the game that's going to see them through the bits if they want to go forward where it gets a bit harder and it gets a bit um, more difficult and they're going to face in quite directly to some difficult patches. Um, you need to make sure you've really given them a breadth of experience that they can call upon. Um, so at that stage, we are we would encourage, um, you know, variety. We would encourage, like you say, the, the core elements of, of catch, pass, kick, um, elements of... You know, there are going to be some contact skills that, that currently people need as, as we go forward and we 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 look at where how the game's going to change, they may adapt, but there's going to be some um 
need eventually to go through those things. I think in terms of a, a tactical understanding, how do I see space, find space, create space, those things will be will be real. Um, and outside of that, you know, we would encourage if you've only ever run in one place, one position, you need to to be changed up. We need you to look in different places. You need to see the same problem from a different position on the field. So we, we encourage real exploration at that point um, on that first phase. So, you know, I, I whilst it might not be perceived by the player, always it's fun because they want to perceive competence. That's an, something we know is true. Players on those pathways, they want to feel that they're gaining in competence. Um, I think when it's articulated well, that explore stuff can be done to give people that challenge stretch. And I think that's one of the key bits we'd, we'd push so around those skills, but also um, if it keeps looking the same, we possess, you know, just have a change up, give someone a new opportunity to experience something. I mean, that's something me and Harrison have, have, have spoke about before around sort of some of the, <clears throat> when you, uh, as, a, as, a, as a player, especially for the, the players in this younger age, you turn up to maybe a DVP session expect to play rugby. Actually, a lot of these lads will be playing rugby within the club training session the matter that week. Some of them might be doing it at school, some of them might be doing it fairly regularly. Is actually, do they need to come to that session necessarily need to just play more rugby when you could fine-tune more specific skills like a start introducing a line-out lift at, at the right age so everyone's exploring different things? Because we have it here where a player will come as a centre but they'll leave a hooker just because of the nature of the, the transferable positions. But you've got to then show them how to do that from scratch rather than actually if they explored it beforehand, no, they might have maybe made that transition a bit early. I think that's quite interesting when we're looking at sort of pathways and development is that it should be providing players that opportunity, whatever the position, whatever the technical skill, to actually try it because we're doing them, I suppose, an injustice by not allowing them to explore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what you're recognising is, is probably true. So um, I do think the game in, in general, whole game has done a really good job of giving players opportunities to, to play. That's, I think the, the coach education around it's been pretty good. You go and watch sessions in schools, clubs, anywhere people are people are playing. They're, they're doing a lot of a, adaptive games. Um, the point you make out actually then what's the responsibilities of that pathway programme. Um, I do think it's something we've talked about internally, working on some of the technical competences of players on that journey, because as you progress, some of those are going to be, you know, they are going to be a difference between your ability to stay into something and perceive that you're progressing and, and, some of the reasons people might come out is because at certain levels, you know, that if you're a hooker, for example, and you want to be a premiership hooker, come the premiership, you, you're going to be needing to throw 90% accurate line outs. If you're going to be in those selective starting spots, that's, that's a reality. So yeah. What do you do on your DPP times is something we, we spend a lot of time talking with, with clubs and coaches about. I think it's a good observation. So what, what, what the changes then when you get to sort of that, point of the program maybe 17s 18s where you're then starting to progress into more sort of I suppose there's a bit more pressure of winning games and stuff like that depending on where you sit within the pathway what what then changes sort of then in terms for the, the players and their experiences you, cause yeah if we've done our job and they've progressed and they've got better they've explored they can fit into any environment what what sort of then what, what is the noticeable difference in terms of the change once they pass that point I'm not sure they've stopped exploring. I don't think you ever will throughout your career. You know, that that's, that will be true if you're a senior international with a load of caps. It, it will always be true. I mean, what, what changed at that point? Um, again, I still think they're, they're broadly 
going to be working things out, um, going through part of systems, the, the technical positional change will begin to settle. So if you look at where players tend to change positions, there's quite a lot up to and including that 16, 17s year, they tend to settle afterwards. Certainly a lot of your front row who progress would have been, as you say, back rows, maybe a 12. Um, it's a lot of positional change at that point. And I think that that will continue through that period. Uh, a much broader focus on the individual will begin to happen. So if you're part of an academy system, um, actually your needs will begin to be prioritised probably above that of a team session. So, you know, at that stage and certainly in those academies, the, the team is a vehicle for individual development as opposed to a priority. And I think that's, again, one of those nuances. It's really easy to get wrapped up in, um, you know, the, the games, the competitive opportunities, they're brilliant. They're learning. They, they get real pressure and there's some fantastic opportunities in it. But that team's a vehicle for you to work on um, the pieces on your IDP that are part of your positional change or learning. It's, it's when you head into the premiership when, you know, the team is there as priority and you're part of it. I still think at this stage, what we're saying is that the team's a bit of a vehicle for you to work on the things we want to see as an individual. And, and that's where uh, the academy system will start to individualise a lot more um, around certain players. So with that, so what would your advice or what's your stance? So, um, you know, when there's when you've got an academy player who's, you know, he's, he's playing, he's training and playing regularly with the academy, um, there's a lot of other stakeholders that, that, are, that are involved with that player at that point. So you've got, yeah. the, player, you've got the player's parents, and you've got the academy, you've got the potentially the schools and then the club that he's played for as well. Um, how can we find an alignment, an alignment there for that player to firstly not, you know, overwork himself at, at, at a young age, um, but then also ensure that, you know, he is still getting that, he's, he's still getting that tick over, even though he might not be, even though he might be away from an academy environment. So one of the things we've, um, you know, it's gone in, in in recent years is a, an annual plan which shared uh, around all those stakeholders so parent player school club college um, whoever is part of that journey that you know that individual's journey actually having a, a plan that's agreed out of out of competition so before we've driven into any kind of emotive period of the year where there's clash so uh it's a big, it's a big colourful table, but it starts off because you would kind of show every game that someone could theoretically play in. And on some weekends, there might be four teams that player could play for. Um, then the question is, you know, who? How do we make that decision? So we have to understand, well, have we worked out the priorities for that individual? So what do they need to work on? Um, what would best service developing those priorities? It's not always matches. Like there's a great... Um, Mr. Van Bailey saying, you know, competition's a good servant, but a poor master. We need to be really kind of really aware that if you want to get better at rugby, playing loads of games of rugby may not be the answer. It's probably not the answer in that stage because we've got to be careful of, like you say, load. Actually, yeah. when you develop a technical expertise, going into a weekly playing cycle won't always give me the gaps and space I need to develop it without compromising a training block. So, we map that year out. What does it look like? Let's let's understand the headline. So we would kind of ask that question. Success in a year, in two years, is articulate that, and then you work back. So okay, if that's if that's a technical, if that's game understanding, that's fine. That might be um, 
period of physical change where someone's moving positions and we need competence. So playing loads of games alongside trying to get a, a physical change in a player, again, those two things don't necessarily always work because you, you need to then prioritise, periodise, and really importantly, like you've called, get the stakeholders aligned on it um, and make sure everybody understands that. And I think that's that's a big change. Um, critically, you know, not to forget, we're still talking about young people who are in school, so that they have to be allowed to be a young person, and and we can't take that experience away from them. Like we're absolutely accountable to making sure they've they've been able to do everything they want to do as a as a young person, um, and as best we can, we get all these things kind of well sorted. So how have um so how have you found it um so when they stepped up into the into this into this uh, this academy area you know, yeah. you know they they're starting to ring into the back end of their uh, atomic the academy um the club's quite naturally going to start honing in and focusing on potentially the top five six players because they're the ones that you know are going to be the the profitable ones that are going to offer offer contracts to now we know that there's a big issue at the moment with player retention and and when they're going through these transitional phases, do you think the how important is it then to the academies and then all the other stakeholders to to really work on that exit point for that player leaving the academy that they stay within the game of within the game of rugby union, so they don't just they don't just drop away and fall by the wayside. Critical, um, in short, you know, absolutely <laughs> critical. It, it's something that um, we we audit the academies on, so they get they have an annual audit, and that you know. They they release players. It's it's it is a reality. You know they make it as clear as they can to everybody. I think they do a good job making it really clear. You know more people will come out of this than will go through. So back to that point, we can never judge success by people who go through and wear your Premiership shirt or something else. That's that's one outcome. But if if more people are not going to get that, then we need to make sure the experience is value adding. And I do think the academies do a really good job of. Of helping young people have that as a value-added experience. Um, how do they do it? I think again, they they try and individualise. They try and spend time now. I think the majority, given some reflection time away from that moment of release, will will look back and say, actually, that was a really positive experience, and we've got good evidence to show that. I think there it's quite often said, people leave these academy systems, then come out of the game. Um, we've just checked it. Like we last year, we. We looked at where people were a year after release at 18. There's there's less um, dropping out the game entirely. We've been in the academy systems and then we're in a community game. So I think it's um, whilst there are some, we always have to be a bit careful to kind of not go. We we looked at the numbers and say there was it's relatively small um, the people who've dropped out the game entirely, which I think is a, a positive indicator that people are doing pretty well in the main. I mean, I, I can see that from being here at the university as well. And I think now, especially sort of from where I started to where we are now, there's a lot more push towards the university as, a, as an extra step to that then development pathway and that they can mould themselves that that little bit more. So we're getting a lot more communication with sort of academy managers, players and, and parents about sort of how we can support them for, for September if that opportunity is not there. Um, and I think, I think that is the... That sort of a key thing is it doesn't have to just stop with with the academy because we touched on earlier about your pathway being different you could come and do three years university rugby develop a little bit more physically and, and tactically and leave then the better player you can still jump straight back into the system 
then. I think there was a thing that came out uh, the other day. I think there was 26, 27 sort of players from Book Super Rugby last year have gone on to sign contracts after graduation sort of this year, which I think shows that, you know, that is an option if just because it, it, it's not actually a barrier to stop you from playing if you want to go to education and you see that as a route, that's an option for you, as well as just going and playing nationally rugby because if you've got to that level you've probably got the skills to be able to fit in at a level that's right for you anyway it's just finding that opportunity and I think that comes to what you touched on earlier about and then Harrison said about getting this the stakeholders conversations going earlier yeah um I mean I suppose maybe one few you've probably got a better idea of where a player is going to be at 18 than well, maybe 17 18 then you probably start having them conversations earlier than leaving it till the last few weeks of the season yeah I think that it's tough isn't it that the more time you have, the better it is to get an indication of, of where someone may end up. And I think that's, um, you leave school at, you know, at 18 at the moment, that's, that's not changing anywhere. So I think we, we, we constantly wrestle with, you know, what's the right thing within the system? Is it, you know, where, where do we do this handoff? And I think we're, you know, we're in a place where we've, we try really hard and the clubs try really hard to, to make it work as, as best it can. And, Chris, like you say, university might be that step. For some people, that might be going to to get a job and play in some of the national leagues. Um, some, it's there's loads of different points where people move on, and I think you know equally some of them will come come back in, and, and clubs are uh, looking at ways that they can keep engaged with players whilst they they go and have that slower progression or development. So I think it's there isn't a single answer, I guess, of the challenge. So what I suppose from a uh, just thinking about the stakeholders and, and if you were uh, what, what advice would you give for sort of parents whose whose kids are going through this process whether that be at, at DPP or then have got through to the sort of the, the next step through with the junior or, or junior academy what what would your advice be for sort of them about the overall pathway as a, as a structure how, how what what's the not the, the best way to advise sort of them on what the, the kids can do because again no journey is different but what would be the best advice for, for if I was a parent in this situation yeah, I think um, it's a really big question because <laughs> it depends, um, you know, the age of your your kid and, and where they are. Um, we have written a parental consensus statement on working with academies and sports that that is online. You can access it and we're about to sort of re-release it with some sort of new imaging and, and clearer statements. I think the, the main thing is um, some trust in the process. You, you, you know, we are, we, we say it all the time when we're a later development sport, I'm not always sure we articulate that massively well in terms of what does that mean to a parent? Um, so I think we, we have to kind of say, trust the process a bit There there aren't. And I think some of the things we see are your questions we get a lot of, or my child isn't in program X, they're not in the DPP, you know, they're 15 there. There's plenty of time. Like I said, there's a lot of ways in, like we talked about earlier with, we're in no rush. There's no evidence really to say if you're in, you know, if you're in it at, 14 you're not more or less likely to make it than other people it's 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 just where you were on that stage at that time I think um we we would say that the, what we're trying to do with those programs is again they're really accessible so if you do live in an area or on a patch you, you know we want to make sure that you can contact them so if you have a player you should be able to reach out to um the program and say you know my my child we think that's potential can we have a discussion can they come and be seen or reviewed like that's that's part of the process. I think we we want to make sure it's flexible, adaptable. And then I guess um, if people are unsure, 
you should be able to get in contact with the stage of the program you're at and and have a conversation that's something that would be a good as a marker and we'd expect to have all of them it's a good health check of, of where they are so i think trust the process um you know there are plenty of opportunities and i think there are there are loads of different ways that people can come through to be successful in rugby yeah, I need mean, to sort of specifically on the parents there, because I know the parents just want the best for, for the kids, right? And the, the, yeah. sometimes they the don't, you know, it's, it's going about the ways of understanding the system to be able to then get the best for them. Yeah. And the majority of the conversations that I have tend to be more with, with parents than the actual player, first and foremost, as, a, as sort of an intro, because they just try and help guide. So on the other side of that, what, what would the advice be for the player? Would it would it be different or is it, or is it, the, is it kind of the same, just trust the process and enjoy the experience? Um, for yeah, you. I think uh, look, the, the player bit is exactly that. Um, we'd also definitely request that people start to, um, you know, you really start to, I think as you go forward, ask good questions about your journey, begin to understand there's a, you know, there is a responsibility for you to, to begin to develop that understanding on how do I manage, guide, focus on my own career. That's, that's a really critical piece. I think um, outside of that, the reason we published, again, that development framework is so players can read it, understand the things we'll, we'll be talking to and discuss. I think um, the more people begin to manage or, or look after their own journey, I think the better that, that will become for them. So I think we, you know, we'd encourage you to have a go, to sort of fail safe, fail fast within the, the environment and I think you should be given the affordance and understanding to do that I think on the you know with the flip side of that from from the coaching perspective whether you're involved coaching within the, the DPP or within coaching at a school or a club it's I think the key word there is just being is communication and actually communicating and and being open and honest as much as you can with um you know with players and parents you know, or, you know we all know that there's some parents that you know get close to that line of of, uh, of interference and then there's some parents that just just leave you to it but I think if you're really clear with your communication around why what the outcomes are for the for the DPP the academy the, the club the college then all of a sudden it's a lot easier to get everyone aligned on that same path um so I think that's 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 something um, we, we touched on it in the previous series around um understanding our who and that's not just understanding players that's also understanding the wants and needs of of all the stakeholders that that, that you'll be working with um so i think that's that's the key one that's the good one there i think you, you touched on earlier that um that it's quite an exciting time for the the women's pathway and the girls and the girls program with the introduction of um the idpp for them um is that going to be um almost a carbon copy or, or what are the subtle differences that that we we see within the within the girls pathway to the to the boys yeah, so look, mega exciting um, in terms of girls' pathway start. The the bits I think have been done really well um, would be that programme that's going to provide loads of, um, I guess, opportunity for a, a long, longer-term view, longer-term development programme. Um, the age bands in the women's pathway have just changed. They've gone to two-year bandings. So they're now under 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s. Previously, um, they had three-year gaps so 15s, 18s, 12s. So I think that's credit to the game growing. I think that's why DP is launching now because the, the pathway is beginning to grow. I think we recognise it's a brilliant opportunity for, for young women to, you know, see what the sport's about, actually work out. It's a cracking um, place to, to be, to learn some new skills, to make friends, to develop. Um, 
I think, again, back to principles that we talk around, should every young girl should have the opportunity, regardless of where you live, to access a pathway programme and have that development experience. So that's critical. Um, there should be a, a similar kind of core skill competency focus. So we, we're really concentrating on parity of experience between men's and women's, but then clearly there are differences. So look, I'm not the best person to tell you what um, young women will need within those DP pathways. We've, we've got outstanding staff um, who work in it and, and they're really the barometer. So they're out understanding what we need, um, what the girls need, what we think is actually strategically um, future interest, future direction. Uh, I think there there clearly are differences, but in terms of parity of experience and opportunity, they're they're very similar. Um, and I think actually they're questions we ask ourselves all the time. So, you know, it's I think look, it's massively exciting. We want to make sure that um, again, same outcome. We have an oversupply of really talented players into into the prem um, and into rosy shirts, and we make it difficult for the head coach to to make selections. That that's got to be the long term aspiration of that. But broadly, young women get into the rugby programmes, love their experience, have added value um, and stay in the game, playing, coaching, administrating long term. And I think that's hopefully going to come, you know, as we as we progress as part of an outcome of that. So, so it's been introduced now, the DPP, because of the increase. September. In, yeah, yeah in, September it will start. And that's, and that's due to the, the increased numbers that of, of, of young girls that want to that want to play the sport. Yeah, and, and we've, you know, in line with the change in age bands, centres of excellence used to run across three years, so 16, 17s, 18s. They now run just at 17 and 18. Um, we completely wanted a kind of long-term focused development programme. Uh, and again, DPP gave us a way of that centrally-led, regionally-delivered model where we have a really core set of KPIs that each DPP will need to hit. Um, but also, you know, they're going to be able to have a, an input regionally on well, what do we need to do to make it work here um and i think in general the rfu is really committed to making the game more diverse more inclusive um each area will have different needs so each area will have a different area you know different um thing to focus on depending on actually well, who are we not representing well where do we need to be better so what do we need to engage um how and that's going to look again that will look really differently around the country but the principle is let's get more people in the game make sure we're, we're looking internally and saying is this experience something they want to come back to um and not only will that just make it a brilliant environment because it'll be cracking to to be able to be around it but it will have a performance benefit because the more people we eventually get into the system you know the, the broader the range of people there are to pick from and to develop and i think it's it does two things like they're not they don't have to live in isolation so it's I think it's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, again, we're seeing that more with the universities. There's more players coming through that have played before. Uh, yeah. Historically, sort of that that freshers' week, there'd always be sort of a good sign-up, but there was a less percentage of them had played the game before. Now it's the other way around. More players are coming already, already have experienced the game, played the game, and want to take their rugby to the next level. And that's sort of what we've tried to do. Is we've linked up with. With the championship club locally that then feed through to the premiership so that the the, the players can start seeing that there's this pathway now at 18 that they can come train with the uni train with the club and then progress through to that either be a sale or, or, or dmp sort of from yorkshire because there's, there's connections there as well yeah i think that's important is that it's making a way to the, aware to the players all the way through that your opportunity to progress doesn't just stop when you get to a certain age everything that we spoke about before there's an opportunity to 
move on wherever you are, really, if you're talented, that you should be given that opportunity to play. Um, just sort of if from going back to sort of what, what Harris was just saying with, with the coaching, what even if I'm not coaching sort of within the path, well, within specifically the DPP or part of that pathway, just the, the club coach or, or school teacher, why, why is it really important for me to understand what is expected sort of at these different stages of sort of DPP in terms of preparing the players to, to get to that thing? What, what could I be doing in my environment if I'm coaching under 12s, under 13s, now preparing players to eventually be picked up by a DPP? What, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I, look, I think any coach, regardless of the, the question is worth asking yourself is, you know, where, where have the people come from and where, where are they going? I think if you, if you just check in on those two things, you'll, you'll be much better at uh, understanding any frustrations that you may have or, or needs you kind of perceive. Um, and then also, I think you have that responsibility due to your care to say, well, if they're going to this place, um, so it's a question you can ask yourself as a performance question. What do I need to do to prepare them for it? Or, or just as a kind of duty of care question. Well, again, you know, what do I want to do to, to help these people take that step? So look, I would check in, depending wherever you coach. So, you know, where are they coming from um, and where are they going to go afterwards? And I think those two things will really help you regardless of stage. Appreciate that's not a specific answer, but um it's a big, it's a big broad one because I think it's it's the best thing coaches can do. Um, you know, I'd love to say to you, go and have experience in fifteen different environments, and and you may be able to do that if you're fortunate to be a full time coach or someone who's got that. Actually, quite often we are dealing with super well meaning, really brilliantly intentioned people, but who will also be busy at some of these stages. They will have other jobs, they will have other commitments, so they're turning up with great intent. Um, our job is to help them be brilliant at the stage they're at. And I just think those two framing questions will help you. You know, we wouldn't be anywhere without the volunteers across CBs, across um, schools, across local clubs, the parents that drive miles. Like they are genuinely the lifeblood of any pathway. You'd never have a successful performance pathway without the thousands of volunteers below it. So I think we, I can give you an answer that'd be really specific related to someone who's full time and has that affordance. But I, I think if you're at that, level just just try and understand where people come from and what you want to do to help them go on and i i i think that's down to a sort of understanding the, the structure of the way it's set up the, the way that it is that you can be aware that like so if you ask themselves the question where they come from where they're going now do they have the potential and i suppose it's that differentiation between do they have the potential do they have the potential or are they at that point where they're, they're, they're just not going to get they're at that level that's where they probably stay do they have potential to go to that next bit what opportunities if i open this door for them can they get that a little bit better it's understanding what we've spoke about a lot is really getting to know your players that are in front of you and getting an understanding of what they could potentially do next because usually i suppose with when it, the, the, the players that usually are the the better players on it's seemed as talented are usually the ones that are doing multiple different sports so they're just generally more active or they've got better fundamental movements than, than some of the others it's just being aware of well actually maybe Harrison for example might actually benefit from this opportunity more because he's not getting these opportunities elsewhere it's not necessarily your best players that I suppose need to go it's recognising who would maybe benefit more is that a fair statement or yeah, I think um, no, no, no. It's we just got to be careful, as you know, as you know, as when are we calling someone's 
capable of going on. Like, I think we have to, and bearing in mind, like it, you know, it's my job to oversee a national pathway. So I think I've got a fair bit of knowledge in some of it. Um, I definitely couldn't tell you with a 16 year old, if they're about to put on a single Adenia shirt or not. Um, and there's a lot of people who will, will kind of make really big calls at that point. You, you just, you just don't know. Um, and we've got some really good evidence in terms of, you know, the number of under 16s that people have asked to be signed off to play a few years up. Um, they are no more or less likely to to go through into contracts than those who haven't. So just because someone presents as really good at that point, we have to be very, very careful. Um, I think as you, you get older, 17, 18, 19, you'll, you'll have an idea, but it probably takes longer than people will think to to have a really good idea of where someone to go to so i think um let's it's fair comment i just also always wave that flag of caution that we need to as best we can be really careful to as soon as you get to a point in your head when you have a black and white opinion of someone you probably need to go and get a different opinion from someone else and challenge yourself and i think that's that's a really critical part of a path that's why you've probably heard it a few times about many eyes many times many environments before you make a decision that that will really help check any bias or or thoughts you've had or got yeah well we, we did a the whole thing on the masters was on sort of unconscious bias and you do tend to yeah. make judgments without actually seeing the whole thing and um you know I, I just know from sort of chatting to some people when it comes to that nomination phase they'll but they'll, they'll either nominate the whole team because they think that's the they're all world beaters rather than actually really delving into understanding of the skill levels that the players have got, what level they're at as a team. And I don't think, I think it'd be interesting to, to how many people actually ask these questions that you said earlier about, you know, where have they come from and where are they going? The, the sort of, I think when the nomination forms come through, they very much just think of the here and now rather than actually that process that they might have gone through. Yeah, I know there's some good ways people can check that, you know, how long has someone been playing rugby actually what's their what's their kind of sports age what is their rugby age you know what's their training age and if, if they're if they've been playing rugby for five years again you know that was one session a week for five years or if they were doing five sessions a week for two years both of those people will probably look very different um so i think there's some really simple check-ins you can do to understand someone's history before you start to make a intent but yeah absolutely we all carry loads of bias we just got to be aware of it Especially with like a nomination process, I know that if you're going to nominate a whole team, I think it's more around the coach saying, "I've got 25 lads in 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 the Newcastle DPP," rather than you know what's best for those players at that time. Um, you know, and that's where it's, it's always a fine balance between you know giving these players that edge to want to win a competition, but then also making sure that they're still developing, developing, developing it as safe and and right and right way yeah and you know i do like kids young people winning sometimes gets really mixed up you know it's not it's not a taboo word to use in development like if you if you line up a load of as i've got seven-year-olds and or four-year-old you know my two kids put them in line and just say go right they'll all leg it and one of them will want to win um and someone will be disappointed if they don't um and the same with um, when we play festivals or tournaments, when people just play three games, you know, it's not a knockout. We don't have a, they are so competitive. These, these people in pathways, like they, they want to win everything. And that's, that's okay. It's why we, we talk about it within, again, the development framework. It's, 
it's completely an end point. England senior teams go out to win matches. That's that is what happens. Um, the winning should never drive um, your your programs. But what we work on and focus on with young players is, you know, you can win that process. You can be, you can win how well prepared you are compared to someone else. Actually, how much work you've done, you can be first off the floor compared to someone else. There are a load of um, things that you control, that individuals control, we'll get them to focus on. Um, game outcomes, really important at the top end. Of course, everyone's disappointed. If, you know, if the England under-20s don't win a Six Nations game, people will be, you know, people will be really upset, the players and stuff. That's not a judgment of whether or not that's successful, that programme, because people are, are travelling through and it's a vehicle for those individuals. I think we have to be, you know, we're okay with it. It's really helpful. It's just, it's part of the world, but it again, it's it should never drive your development program. But it's completely where people are heading to. I think that's an important message for for all coaches, all parents, for all teachers. Is, is yes, I agree. Winning is important, and, and it's intrinsic as human beings. We we want to win. We don't. No one wants to lose in anything. But it's how we frame what what winning is and. Um, you know, you give great examples of right first off the floor, but it might just be like, you know, framing what winning winning for you in this race might be completely different to to winning winning for someone else um, within their race. When there might be a different age and stage of the of, of the cycle, and that's where it goes back to like you know understanding your participants and then being clear with being clear and open and honest with them to say right, you are at a different stage. That doesn't mean you're you've lost there. Right, you've won. So if you're if you're doing a time sprint, or well, you're quicker than your last time, so that's 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 a win, is it not? Yeah, look, look, what we you know, people can really overcomplicate it. Like I think um, in these development programs, winning the the game is completely something the players want to happen. The coaches will definitely, you know, everyone they are competitive. It's 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 never the primary driver. Um, it's around, you know, the game, the team is a vehicle to make those individuals um, better and grow. And it, it may be in your world, and if you're part of a league or competition structure, league within that development system, it's very clearly a development system within academies to to help progress individuals. It's not, it's not the other way around. So I think we, when you look at the academy managers, they're a brilliant group. Like they, they talk, they share between themselves, they, they share learnings because they're, you know, they are judged on actually how people come through, the quality of um, for the players, how adaptable they are, not on whether or not they win the 18s Academy League. Um, and I think that's why it's a, you know, it's a, it's a really good community to be part of because people just want to learn, improve, and, and it's great to see the level of, of conversation sharing that goes on. I think that's something that even the coaches in the community game should, should be doing as well, of sharing good stories about what they're doing well, what they've learned, whether that's when I've moved, if you know, if you've got a group and you've moved up from under 14s to under 15s, the next group of coaches that are coming to coach them under 14s, you tell them about what you've what you've experienced over that last 12 months, so that they can then hopefully, you know, they're aware of some of the the challenges that they might come across as well, because no doubt they'll probably come across the same, especially like you say earlier that they're a volunteer coach that are that you know they're giving up the the Sundays and maybe one night a week to do some coaching, that they probably will end up with the same sort of barriers, and I think that. Openness of sharing is something that all coaches probably need to do better, especially within the community game. Yeah, and I think that the idea of community is critical, isn't it? Like we talk about it all the time, coaching community, playing community, 
um, rugby community. Like that, it makes if it's a good place to be, people want to be there, and I think we 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 are aware of that, and we all work hard to to add into it. Don, it's been uh, it's been great great chance here about it. I think there's been there'll be loads of stuff there sort of around the pathway that I think a lot of coaches will take away from it. Um, I think it's been a good good education about how it's structured and, and sort of what that looks like. So we uh, really appreciate your time coming on and, and having a chat. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Harris had a great chat there with uh, with Don around sort of pathways. Um, I think there was a lot to take away there for for coaches within within any level, really. Yes. Yeah. And I think what's um, what what was really quite um, prevalent throughout all of that, throughout all that chat was was how it all links back to the things that we've already covered in in the previous episodes. And I think this is what the RFU do do quite well. Um, we know that you know having done you know our qualifications from you know, the England Coaching Award to the England Advanced Coaching Award. You know, it's these things that they push quite they push quite well. Um, and it's good to see that you know it is it, it, it is important for the for the for the pathway as well. And you know, as much as it is about getting top players to the to to play for England and play for play for the Red Roses and and, and Premiership clubs, it's also about making sure that they're developing and having a worthwhile experience in which they want to stay within the game of rugby union. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I thought that during the conversation in, in terms of there's a lot of stuff that we've spoke about over all three seasons of the pod so far around sort of understanding your players, I think, was was quite a key area that came through. And, and I really like one of the questions that, that there were two of the questions that Don said that coaches could ask themselves was around, you know, where are they now and where have they come from? You know, they should be sort of their checking points as sort of where a player is on their journey. And that the, the whole pathway, whatever process you win, is it is a journey. There's no, you, you, you could enter and come back in at, at different levels of your journey, and 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 it's fluid and it's dynamic and it's 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 all about exploring, you know, especially from a rugby perspective, it's exploring and and putting your skills under a variety of different pressures to be able to fit into any rugby environment after that, and that you continue and stay in the game long term. What well, was clear that um, you know exploration is key throughout the whole pathway um and I, I like that about about what don was saying around you know even if they're at a younger age yes it's about you know that exploring your boundaries and, and the players capabilities you know both uh, technically and tactically but then that should never go away even if you're still you know towards the end of the pathway and you're you know and you're, you're approaching you're fastly approaching your 40s and, and clear to retirement right that, Rugby should be still be about all sports actually, not just not just rugby, but sports should be about exploring the exploring boundaries, whether that be technical, tactical. But then I'd also argue psychosocial, um, you know, physically, de you know, physical development as well. Right? Let's let's be afraid that you know, let, let's not be afraid of, of how far we can push these boundaries to 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 really see how far we can push ourselves. And, and that came out of the conversation with Don. You know, he, he touched on a bit about how, you know, with, with the DPP program now, it's it's not about sort of trying to see the person there and then. The, the journey could be, you know, for the year, could be for two years, depending on, you know, the, the nature of where you're at, where you enter. And he touched on how it was all around the, the affordances of providing time, support, quality of coaching. And then, like you say, developing some understanding of physical and, and psychosocial behavioural stuff, which is we've touched on as well already, sort of in in the series and I, and I think 
this is probably one thing you speak to like parents and stuff and you know everyone will have their opinion of, of what the dpp should be and what it should look like when actually what i got the conversation with don is yes it's about developing these players but the reality is not every player is going to get there it's making sure that they have that high quality of experience come out at the end of it a better player and then are still playing the game after they get moved on or after they their journey within the academy still stops it, it doesn't stop it continues whatever level you go you've got the skill set to go into any other environment but that's but that's where it's and we touched on it in the episode that's where it's, it's really important to make sure the stakeholders are aligned and that safety net is there for the players and the players do realize that you know it ultimately it's it, it, it's bloody tough getting to the top and how can we frame exiting the exiting or, or or not not making it in a different in, in a different way in a more positive way that actually makes them want to stay and we do that by creating positive environments you know making sure that their enjoyment is at the center of it and actually they enjoy the process of learning and engaging and, and, and meeting new people and, and pushing themselves to the to, to, to the boundary limits but then also from an academy or a gpp and also the teachers and the uh, um, coaches at the club is it's like the communication is there you've got to be really you've got to be really clear and, and you know and, and i can piece them up with you know a good path is always well signed and we are these are all parts these are pathways to the top but these branch off and they don't always lead to the top they might lead to another area which actually you find that's more beneficial for you and more aligned with what your mindset is as a player yeah, and well, I mean, we, we touched up within that around that element of, you know, winning. And I've, I've never met a player in any coach, in any group or anything that I've been involved in. That, that There's no player that's gone onto the field of play where there's not view of, I want to win this game. That's I don't think that's ever brought into question. But it's like, I really like the, that winning should never drive the process. You know, you know, winning is actually winning and lose, you know, being able to lose is, is that's a skill as well that we need to learn. And, and you can do that within the safe space. But you know the, the the competition is a good servant, but a bad master. I think what what sort of what was what I've got written down here. I think I paraphrased what Don actually said. But I, I think that is also key. Is yes, we don't want to take away that element of competition, but we don't let it drive what we're doing. We've still got to allow the players, like we say, to explore and think of solutions and develop as players and people, without being driven by the end result of that time frame of a game. You never, you never lose, Chris. You always learn, and that's quite prevalent. And actually, it's about how we frame what winning looks like. Um, winning can be intrinsically, intrinsically motivated, and intrinsically, intrinsically done, and that's where you'll see players want to engage more and want to learn more and want to stay in the sport more. So that's, I think that 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 that, that is key. It's, ma it's managing that expectation on on all fronts with that as well. You know, you made that point as well. A good pass is well timed. So actually, we, which where we're just where we, where we sort of as coaches we say yes, the, you know, we, yeah, we, the result might not have gone our way, but this is what we've learned around it. You know, maybe not focus at the end of the game, focus on what the score is, focus on set some goals of what you want to achieve within that that time frame. What do we want to see by the end of it? What in terms of our goes back to planning, but what what where do we want to see the players at this point in time? You know, the minute we then add that result in is that's when pressure forms, and then that's that's what cloudy decision makers when you know you want them to be they want to be aware of that but 
being able to manage that is a big skill in itself. And, and that is what a lot of the time will differentiate some people that make it to the top is because they can manage their emotions in that way. But then that's why I think it links quite nicely back to, you know, the conversation we had with um, Mark Bennett. You know, maybe after the game, our first thing should be, you know, around, what did you commit to it? And that can be the frame of how you frame winning, right? Did you commit to all the decisions that you did out there? Did you show that bravery? And if you did, then you can you, that that that's a win because we can go away and we can on the training on the training pitch we can we can work on those we can up we can upskill you technically you know, we can, through the use of video analysis we can upskill you tactically. But you know if, if you if you're not if you're not committing to it then well I don't know if you've learned if you're if you're engaging in the learning process at all then. No, so that's a good point. So uh, another cracking episode. I think we're uh, we're now going into actually the journey of what that looks like out on the ground. We've covered all the key physical, psychosocial, behavioural, tech, tech, and now what the pathway looks like. Now it's going into the the nitty gritty, the how, what what that looks like on the ground, and we've got we've got some exciting guests to sort of bring all this uh, bring all this to life. So uh, another good episode. Um, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, Charlie's got all of our social media details at the end. We'll see you next time. Cheers for listening. Don't forget to join in the discussion at Big Breakdown HQ on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.